0: All right, give a, give everyone a few minutes here to log on. All right, we'll kick it off here. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Media Gel Podcast. I'm your host Guillermo Bravo. Thank you for joining us today as we discuss how to manage the customer experience before, during, and after visit with Krista Raymer of the Vitrina Group. <laughs> Media connects. Me. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Media Gel connects brands and retailers with cannabis consumers through our ad network of mainstream publishers, mobile apps, games, and TV. Uh, We help cannabis companies advertise on Google, support an SEO, and activate data with display advertising to support e-commerce sales. I'd like to introduce Krista Raymer, a cannabis retail strategist with us today. Hi, Krista. Hi. (laughs) Krista is an an innovative, passionate business owner who drives top-line growth and profitability through unique business modeling within the cannabis retail space. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here and talk about customer journeys.
0: Likewise. Well, let's let's kick it off there. Can you give us a little background on your career and how you entered the cannabis space?
1: Yeah. So I actually got involved in cannabis kind of by accident. We had started Vitrina Group as a retail team, ready to get started with digitally native companies, open up brick and mortar stores. And while that happened, uh, rec stores in Canada opened up and we went into the stores and there was a ton of opportunity in the way that the retail experience was going down for customers. We said, we can help fix this. Um, so we got started with some first round lottery winners and now we work with cannabis retailers and brands, both in Canada as well as in the US.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And we know customer expectations are at an all-time high and they're only growing, right? So, you know, what can business owners do to create an unforgettable cannabis dispensary customer experience?
1: Yeah. You know, I think like we first kind of need to think about and rationalize what does the actual visits of a cannabis store look like? Mm -hmm. Um, For the most part, if we were to talk to retail store owners or even managers, they'll say our customers shop with us once a week. In the data, when we start to dig in around the frequency to which people are purchasing in cannabis stores, um, Headset notes that it's actually closer on average to about eight times a year. So the average customer shopping eight times a year, as opposed to that weekly occurrence. So when we think about like building our business or driving a more profitable environment, we need to drive the business in a couple different ways. We can either one, acquire new customers, two, Increase the number of visits that our current customers are doing. Or three, increase the sales while the customer is in the store already purchasing. And so we want to think about creating unforgettable experiences. It's really about this retention game. So it's about thinking about, instead of doing eight transactions in a year, how can we get our most engaged customers to be shopping nine, 10, 11, 12 times a year? And so to create like an unforgettable customer experience in a cannabis store, we need to create feelings of comfort and trust, and that they also feel recognized for their participation in the retail environment. So really it's about how are we developing relationships with our bud tenders, how is the customer feeling about their transaction after they've completed it? And then how are we making sure that we're retaining the customers that are shopping with us?
0: Yeah, and these are all key. And we're going to dive in deeper to, to each of these line items uh, you know, shortly here. But it's, you know, all of those are, are key really for growing your, you know, your revenue and your, you know, just, just growing your dispensary as a whole. So um, we're going to be diving into strategies to actually uh, influence each of these channels. And you got to remember that humans are social beings, right? So even with the success of online ordering and and leftover fear of the pandemic, cannabis lovers will happily drive to a retail store if they enjoy the in-store customer experience. So, you know, what can businesses glean from customers that are willing to walk into a retail store to purchase instead of using delivery? And, you know, how can they use that information to maintain a loyal customer base?
1: Well, I think there's like two points that I would not necessarily totally differentiate the in-store versus the online customer. In other traditional retail, like it's pretty fluid in terms of going back and forth. Anytime somebody feels like they want more additional information, it's usually when we see them visit a store. So those customers that are less familiar with products or maybe are going to try a new product or product format are going to be more willing to come to the store. So before they've even entered the store, they've probably done some kind of exploration about who you are or what you're offering. So your online presence is going to be probably one of the first touch points, whether that be through your actual website or complimentary websites like um, Weed Maps or something like that. Yep. Then it is going to be about whether when they get to the store, their expectations are met. So this is like a really important feature about shopping in store that most people don't think about, is that when the customer is coming to the store, they already have expectations about how this is going to go. So it's up to the store and the bartenders to start to uncover what those expectations might be, and then how we can make that magic happen, where the customer feels so great while they're shopping in store. And it's really when they feel like their expectations are met and that they are confident in their decisions. So when we think about like where the customer is coming from in terms of physical location or what they're doing, we're really starting to shift and go away from only thinking about the demographics, meaning like who is our customer, not just age and gender, but more so going like, what are the patterns and and um, consistency in terms of uh, like activities that our customer has in common. So are they coming to us on their way home from work or do they stop in the store for fun on their way out to meet friends? Um, Do they have a dog and do they bring the dog to the store because they're out for a walk? All of these are gonna give us some ethnographic hints about who our customer is, and then tell us a lot more about what the purchasing behavior might be. So like, let's give an example of that. If a customer is driving in their car and they're on their way home from work and they shop in your store, stop in the store, they're probably gonna be more willing to purchase something that isn't as um, transportable. Meaning like um, concentrates or like a dab rig might be in in the carts. Whereas if you're in a location where your customer is usually walking in and they might be in transit to somewhere else, like a public park or the beach, we're gonna to wanna to think about a product that um, is easier to move around and probably a little bit more discreet. And so it's gonna influence the way that the products and what purchases are happening and when. So in the second example, we might see things like vapes or edibles and pre-rolls sell at a higher cadence than kind of like the industry average mainly because we're thinking about the way that our customer is utilizing the product and in what path in their journey they're getting there.
0: Wow, those are all great points. And I'm just thinking of, you know, the, I guess the highest traffic times uh, of the dispensaries as well. So, you know, after, after work, people maybe stop off there um, for happy hour. Like they'll come pick up uh, some pre-rolls or something on the way home from work. I know like Thursday evening through sunday evening is typically like high traffic within within store so keeping that in mind that people want to stop by your store on the on the way out with friends like that could be a a big uh, segment for you and uh, i know you had uh, some great case studies around uh, you know having a dispensary around a dog park mm-hmm. as well so if that is your customer base you know really curating your product catalog to to speak to that audience. And then having, I, I remember there is a, a pre-rolled, pre-roll pre-roll uh, that was made for, for that specific category is called dog walkers.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yep.
0: So, you know, really speaking to your customers on that front is key.
1: Yeah. Anytime something feels like it like belongs in your life, yeah. it's going to feel more familiar. So like you kind of said, with human behavior, people yeah. love things that are recognizable and, feel like they already know them. So if we can get those pieces of product to align with their life, we're much more likely to create confidence in the purchasing decision, as well as see repurchasing rates increase with those specific products. That's why things with color or food names tend to sell faster and better in stores. It's because they already have this like common experience with the customer who's shopping in store. Flavor profiles, um, vary and what sells through by trend, like market to market, something that might sell really well in Canada doesn't sell in California and something that sells in California in January probably doesn't sell in Michigan in January because the mindset of the customer is totally different. And so um, those are the, the ethnographic behaviors that we need to think about with our customers when they're making decisions about what product to purchase.
0: Yeah. And understanding the market that you're, you're operating in is crucial for setting up a successful dispensary. So, mm-hmm. you know, for each state you operate in, you should be considering not only your total addressable market and analyzing their demographics and preferences uh, to attract new customers and build loyalty, but you know, also exploring the cannabis data and reporting out there for your state's product preferences. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, what are some of your favorite platforms that you use for gathering you know, market intelligence and cannabis data?
1: Yeah, I think it's really important to differentiate and first understand what the value of the data is, right? So if we take market-level insights, that's going to tell us something about like the entire market, but that isn't necessarily going to tell us everything about our individual market. So POS data is always my favorite um, because that's going to be exactly what is happening in our physical environments. The pesty thing about POS data though, is that it doesn't tell you what the opportunity was. It only tells you what could have been or what was because what was in store. So we can't get sell through data on a skew if we never had the skew or the product in store in the first place to buy. So like we've got to take POS data with a grain of salt. This is where insights become really important or like market level data and so I love um, headset for that kind of tool to be able to take a look and understand, okay, what are the trends in the market? And then we test that um, both in terms of conception and strategy for a retail environment, and then also maybe an execution too, to say, hey, does that trend actually play out in my retail environment too? Maybe there is a massive trend around uh, concentrates and like concentrates as a category growing in your local um, state then we want to take into consideration say, does that apply to my specific customer base? And does my store support that? Both of those things are going to define whether we like actually go down and invest in that category like that, or if we're going to say, you know what, not for me. The thing is, is also there's... Um, really interesting like market insights that we can pull from non cannabis data as well. And so being aware of like what trends are happening in terms of consumer behavior becomes really important as well. So Um, are we shopping online? What are the trends around shopping online? Um, Is there anything that we can do from a merchandising perspective to support these all become really helpful um, when thinking about what the additional tools are that we're going to use to really build out our like intelligence around our cannabis data?
0: Now, that's all helpful insights and, you know, Uh, these all, it's great that you can gather data and everything right on the point of sale side, but what data should you actually be tracking? Uh, And then how can you activate that data?
1: Yeah. I think like the first thing is we want to understand our quality of sale data. So we've got a bit of a framework that we understand retail environments by. First section is like quality sale, meaning, um, average per basket, number of units, what types of products are being purchased most frequently together. This is going to tell you a lot about kind of just like what's our current state. Yep. Then we take a look at inventory. Then we took a look at people. And then we take a look at marketing as efforts. So to really understand where we're going with a marketing strategy, we need to be aware of what our quality of sale and what our inventory is looking like. There's nothing worse than running some type of promotion and not being prepared from an inventory perspective. So your marketing strategies are going to be defined a little bit by like what is happening in terms of your quality of sale and what do we want to improve? Is it that we are trying to improve our units per transaction or is it that we're trying to add new customers to the environment? That will start to build out the strategy of being like, where do we go and what do we do with this? Because if we are communicating with our customer base that is already in existence, then that's going to be a different message than if we are going down the path of trying to gain new customers that might not already be in our database. So quality of sale and understanding kind of like what our goals are are going to be the first step to start to build out that marketing strategy. Uh,
0: That's very helpful. And you know, that's another part of this is really, um, Looking at product offering, right? So, like, what can retailers do to pinpoint uh, different product gaps? And do you have to have any? Like, do you have any tips for selecting a good product assortment for for the retail storefront?
1: Yeah, I think like this is where market level insights become really interesting because we want to look at trends in terms of by category and then dial it back and look at our own trends in our retail environment and say. Do we think that we could hit that if the market is outperforming our location by category? Or are we overperforming for a particular reason? So any kind of variances from the market average, we want to make a note of and and understand kind of first why. What's really interesting is that the Pareto principle has a tendency to play out in cannabis as well. So the Pareto principle is that 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your customers, in cannabis, this plays out pretty true, but more like a 70-30 split. And when we specifically look at inventory, it's like 30% of your SKUs generate 70% of your revenue. So all of a sudden, that's giving us a pretty narrow and tight window to be really dialed in. So from an assortment strategy, we want to think about like how many SKUs are we carrying to begin with? And then which ones are we actually generating the majority of our revenue from? Then we're going to take a look at it and say, what are the middle performing SKUs? Is there anything in there that has an opportunity to perform better? Or is there something in there that maybe like it was a trend and we're starting to lose it? So it was like really trendy product. It kind of hit a blip and now it's sell through is dropping off. And then we want to take a look at what our bottom performers are. So anything that has been in store for more than 60 days with no sales, we need to get out like immediately. And why we need to do that is because you have cash flow locked up in that SKU and you've probably already lost your ability to make any kind of gross margin on it because the operational costs we've put into maintaining it. So now it's about being able to turn it around and reinvest in one of those top performing SKUs. So instead of kind of being like uh, reactive and responding to what is happening, we want to be a little more predictive. And to be predictive, we need to be thinking about um, test and iteration, bringing things in in a smaller quantity, and then really tracking it over 30 days in terms of how it's performing. So when a SKU enters the store, where does it show up in terms of your online menu presence? Where does it show up in terms of your in-store menu presence from a merchandising perspective? How does our team talk about this product? And then are we running any promotions around this product? Are all going to help us assess whether it's something that works for our store or not. If it doesn't work, mark it down, get it out, reinvest in something else. If it does work, what is... The amount that we need to reinvest to be able to amplify those results. So thinking about gaps in the assortment really comes down to identifying what your top performing SKUs are and your middle, comparing and contrasting that kind of to like industry averages around categories and identifying if you have anything that like sits outside of the industry average and testing and seeing how much more you can push that. So if beverages outperform in your location, how many beverages do we need in store to be able to continue to see that category grow? Or like, what's the total number of SKUs for our customers to be able to make decisions? What we all forget is that if a product completely sells out, we've missed the opportunity. So in retail, like selling out is some of the worst things that can happen. We want to make sure that we have the inventory in store to sell, and without being over inventory and it becoming a slow moving SKU.
0: Oh, that was a lot. I mean, a lot of great insight. A lot of information. There. Yeah, that's this is this is very helpful. And like, how do you, you know, as a retailer, like depending on which state, I don't know how many SKUs are at the retail storefront in Canada, but I know like in Washington state and California, they can have, you know, upwards of 500 SKUs. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I guess going through this whole exercise that you, that you highlight is, you know, of those SKUs, what 30% should you really be focusing on? And what can you do as a retailer to, you know, help amplify and reinvest in those in those top brands so that you can push those through as well. Um, And then, you know, a lot of the, a lot of these products that sit on the shelves are just, you know, they're not selling through, like, how do you deprioritize that, get them out of the store? And then, you know, how do you note that as far as on the purchasing behavior to, to not, uh, to not to reorder. And then also uh, you said, you know, you never want to sell, sell out of everything, anything, especially if it is, Uh, part of that 30% uh, of your top product. So how do you, like on your, on your side as a retailer, like how do you actually uh, automate that whole process? Like do, do the brands get automatic notifications when, when you're running low on product? Like how does that work, uh, Krista?
1: Yeah, it depends on the POS. Um, There are other tools also that will help you better analyze your inventory um, like like headset in their retailer platform, which is like a plugin that allows you to better understand your actual POS data, not just the market level insights. Um, What we're really looking at is the velocity. So what you're talking about in terms of understanding how quickly a product is selling is a measurement of how quickly a product sells over a period of time. I love to look at velocity in terms of on a day-to-day perspective. So do we sell one unit, two units, five units a day? That's going to help us better understand what our run rate is. Then we need to take into consideration what our repurchasing timeline is. So if our delivery period is like a two week window, then we really need to be initiating reordering on that specific SKU just before two weeks so that we don't sell out. So we need to think about what the buffer is in terms of how many days of inventory do we need on hand as a buffer Um, selling through, like making sure that we're still doing first in first out so that we don't have aged inventory in store, Um, but then initiating orders early enough to allow for the timeline for them to come in. And that's where managing an inventory when you have 500 SKUs becomes so hard is because you have so many different vendors that might all be operating on different timelines. And so because of that, we need to be dialed in and think about how much inventory do we really need to be able to support the sales? And this is where understanding what percentage of SKUs generate, what percentage of revenue becomes a really helpful tool because most retailers will say, you know what i need 500 skus to generate the revenue that i'm doing and i would be like do you like if we look at the sell through by sku it very often is surprising data around like what is actually our top performing products and then like i'm going to throw a wrench in all of this and say sometimes it's not only revenue that generates what yeah. is our top performing sku we also need to take into consideration like the number of units that sell through so you might have Um, a concentrate product, because of the price point of concentrates, it generates a certain amount of revenue that might translate to let's call it a hundred units a week where, and it generates a certain amount of revenue, whereas maybe a pre-roll we've got it priced at like three or $4 and it's generating significantly less or like slightly less revenue, but from a units per over the week, it's much higher. So we've actually impacted way more customers with the pre-roll than we have with the concentrates. And this is why it becomes really important to like analyze the inventory to understand where the revenue is coming and how impactful different SKUs are.
0: hundred percent. And really that impactful um, part of that is, is the most important, right? Is like how, how impactful is that SKU or product category or brand on the on the business as a whole, I know that in the past, like some of our retail partners, we have maybe like a a, a more uh, affordable product uh, that is really a loss leader. But we know that you know we're not going to make money on that skew. But we know that they're you know the the upsell or the add ons is what we're really doing to to expand the the total. Uh, I guess the the average order value for that for that order. So. There's totally. different strategies that you can implement in the play, mm-hmm. you know, just based on uh, the compliance within your region and then how competitive people are in your, in your city. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> you know, it's known that a you know customer needs to see you a minimum of seven times before they make a purchase. Uh, you know, how can you get in front of the customers before they visit your store to get those seven touches in?
1: Well, I would turn that also back to you guys. Cause I feel like you okay. are really great at this kind of thing, but it's like, it's, it's really for us, it's starting to think about where our customer is looking. So mm-hmm. when they are making a decision about um, like that they want to purchase cannabis, where do they go first? And so then we think about the decision tree is, are they looking for a specific product which might lead them to certain search results? Or are they looking for like a location which might lead them down other results? that is a kind of like maybe the first step. I would love to know what you also think of that when we were thinking about online first.
0: Yeah. So I mean, the no brainers is going to be your website. So your website's going to be the uh, really the foundation of your overall online presence. So making sure that you have that set up uh, and then you have analytics installed on that. And they're really focusing on, Either if you're if you're a retail store driving e-commerce sales to the menu, or uh, if you brand, you know, sending people through uh, you know to where your product is available. Uh, social media is a no-brainer. You know, that's uh, there's a lot of cannabis consumers on Instagram, on Facebook. Uh, I would say LinkedIn is more for the B two B B two B audiences. So um, really focusing on Instagram, I would say is is the best for a brand. You. Uh, e- let's look at the marketplaces. So what you know, depending on your region, you can focus on like weed maps or Leafly. Uh, Yelp is another one to to really capture people through uh, the marketplaces. Uh, We always focus on search engines. Uh, You know, 70% of uh, cannabis or website visitors to like a cannabis website are coming from Google. So SEO is going to be huge on that. That's going to be You know, really building your, your presence around uh, people looking for a location, as you said, Krista. So if someone's looking for a cannabis store in their area, you want to rank for those terms. If they're looking for a specific product, uh, depending on your e-commerce menu, you can create, uh, you can have those product pages indexed um, by search engines, or uh, if you don't, you can just create landing pages for those different brands and products that, you know, sell well, And then paid search, like if you don't have the time to, to wait for the SEO to really pick up, then you can invest in Google Ads or Bing Ads to really jump ahead uh, to the front of the line to, to get that sale. So you know, as you build your brand trust and authority, you know, with potential customers, uh, they'll start to see your brand and consider a purchase. And you know, the pre-sale for your business should focus on, like I said, like building social media presence, creating SEO keyword-focused educational content. Uh, building your brand and website, and then investing in paid search marketing campaigns to, to capture search intent, and then using display ads for brand awareness on the top of funnel. So there's a lot of ways that you can really connect uh, with cannabis consumers through digital marketing. Uh, so you want to create you know, multiple touch points using, the, using those different four strategies, and then continuing to build your marketing plan and scale your budget as revenue grows. Um, so if you, haven't, if you haven't opened your doors yet, then you should focus on um, really set up. So you know, on the marketing side, get your website set up, get your menu set up, uh, start to build those evergreen SEO focused uh, educational content, you know, get your CRM set up, whether it's like an Alpine IQ or Spring Big or some of the other platforms so that people can sign up for your, your email newsletter or loyalty program or text message list. So you really want to start collecting that first-party data, and on the social media side, you can do that before you enter a store. You really just want to build up your following, uh, but really be cautious with social media because you don't want to you don't want to promote the sale or use of the product because that's going to get you flagged and put in your account potentially shut down. So you really want to kind of proceed with caution uh, when using social media. So there's a lot of different ways that you can really capture uh, cannabis consumers when you're in that customer acquisition phase. And a couple you know, numbers I want to highlight is uh, I think it's about uh, 75% plus of all website visitors are going to be on their mobile device. So making sure that your website and all your assets are, are really built for mobile first uh, because that's what people expect in their customer experience. Like they have, everyone has their phone in their pocket. It's an extent, it's an extension of yourself. Uh, so making sure that people can find you, uh, when using their cell phone, uh, get to the, the checkout of your shopping cart in as minimal clicks as possible and just make that whole process easy. Cause that's, you know, you know, with, with the, um, with COVID and everything that occurred the last two years, the customer's expectations are really high and they, ex- they expect, you know, this, this really easy to use uh, experience digitally. And then the checkout in store should be kind of follow that same format. So they should be able to get in the store quick if they've pre-ordered and get out of there fairly quickly as well. Um, or if they want to spend some time to, to speak with the bud tenders, like they should be well educated and really ready to answer their questions. So, you know, the expectations of the consumers is, is very high now. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Like, I mean, you've identified kind of two things that really stand out for me on the website perspective is that it's like, are they, we have a path with our customer coming into the website and are they going to make a purchase while they're on the site? And so if they're Mm -hmm. going to make a purchase while they're on the site, you're like reducing the number of clicks and thinking about how easy it is to digest information becomes important. So people don't like too many options, specifically when online shopping. Um, They think they want all the options, but when we're presented with too many, we can't make a decision and then we're not confident about the decision that we've made. So sometimes it's about also thinking about how we pair back our online menu to be able to drive additional sales through our website. And then if a customer is also on your website to learn about you and then is going to be coming to your space Thinking about how easy it is to find what your address is and how quickly that links out to like something like a Google maps and being able to identify and track that behavior through the analytics on the back end helps us to better understand kind of like what our path to purchase is. And so with the seven touch points, it's like, are we building an online presence and being able to connect with them? But then also like the most basic touch point usually is your signage and your physical location. Most customers are purchasing um, in the US, are purchasing at a store within three miles of their home or their workplace. And so because of that, like your physical presence and and your touch point about somebody driving by or walking by every day becomes really helpful. we all have been there where we like drive by a million McDonald's over the span of two days. And then all of a sudden you're thinking about your order for McDonald's. And if you want McDonald's, it is because it has consistently shown up and popped up in your life. And so we want to be able to think about how we can create that. McDonald's does it by making sure that they have strong signage that's like evident from um, the highway, even when it's like a mile away. And so, um, we want to think about what kind of behavior we can create by just having physical presence with a touch point as well.
0: Yeah. And that three miles from the storefront really, I mean, that stands out to me, like it's really hyper local. Mm -hmm. And if that's going to be your audience and what was the number, the percentage of stores that you said that, uh, are focused on that three mile storefront.
1: Oh, I did. I, it, oh. I'm not sure oh. how many are oh, okay. actually focused on the on this <clears throat> three mile perspective, but like that's usually where the majority of the revenue is going to come from. And so probably to go back to that Pareto principle, 70-30 split for cannabis. But um, when we are thinking about being that close, it's like, how do we service and really understand the needs of those customers and what are those touch points going to be?
0: Yeah. And when I'm thinking about the, the, the three miles, like anyone who walks in that three mile radius of your store is going to be a highly qualified, I would say cannabis consumer, right? You really want to get in front of them. Um, So just some, some digital marketing tactics that may uh, may work for you that we know of, you know, work for these hyper-local campaigns is going to be uh, your display advertising campaign. So, or programmatic advertising. So you can draw a three mile radius around your store if anyone that we know is a cannabis consumer that has walked into another cannabis dispensary in the past or made a purchase through another store over the last six months. If they walk within this three mile radius of your store, you, you want to make sure that they see your brand. Uh, So Mm -hmm. that's one way that you can do that. And then another is going to be through paid search. So if, if they're on Google, you know, on Google maps and they're searching, searching for a cannabis store on the way home from work, boom, you want to make sure that you're top of mind there and that you um, at least get in front of them when people are within the three-mile radius of your store and they you know have the intent to purchase. Uh, so there's some really like hyper-local campaigns that you can do there. And then on the SEO front, uh, you can create landing pages for each neighborhood or zip code. So if there's a, like a high net worth area that you really want to focus on, let's say and in, in the Bay Area. If I want to target that location with uh, delivery campaigns, let's say there's no retail stores around there and we really want to, to push delivery store, um, the delivery orders, then boom, we can target that same radius. So anyone that goes within that frame uh, will see your ads. So there's a lot, of, a lot of great ways to do that. And then, you know, uh, one kind of easy, easy way to do this that's not digital would be just guerrilla marketing. So any kind of like flyers or anything that you can do to really engage with the community on the local level is going to, uh, you know, to really, it's going to really do well and, and really just get you that exposure in the, on those hyper local regions.
1: There's some, uh, there's some stats around like customer service and it's that mm-hmm. when a customer has a really great experience, they tell on average seven people. And when they have a really bad experience, they tell on average 10. So wow. <laughs> um Cannabis, and because of the regulations and because of our willingness and our availability to advertise or market, depending on the, the specific geography that we're in, um, it becomes so important to go out there and create like micro influencers. Who are the people mm-hmm. that have the best shopping experience, and how do we get them to tell seven people? If every one of our customers tells seven people and we can convert one or two of them, we're going to be in a really great place from building a customer base. And this is how a customer base kind of like organically grows. So thinking about that also when you're thinking about like your loyalty programs or any kind of promotional efforts is um, how do we build that in as a strategy to to ensure that we're reaching more people? Um, Is going to become one of the aspects that we can drive a more profitable business later on. So your touch points aren't only necessarily the ones that we physically have created, or we've created digitally online, but your customers become a touch point as well. So anytime your customer is wearing your merchandise around a community, that's a touch point. Anytime that they are telling their friends or family members about the product or their experience at the store, it's a really good touch point. So um, thinking about that and integrating it into your touch point strategy is really helpful too.
0: Yeah. I know some of the loyalty programs have a, like refer a friend program where, uh, you know, the person that refers, uh, refers you out as a retailer, they'll get a kickback, maybe like 10, 20% off their next order, if that's available in your location. Uh, so there's a lot of ways that you can really expand and amplify that, especially when you, you're getting that positive feedback. <clears throat> totally. Kristen, do you have an example of a, of a marketing principle that also translates into physical retail?
1: Well, I think like the, the most of the marketing principles are going to play true in terms of physical retail and there are certain things, obviously, because we're in a regulated space that we're handcuffed in our ability to um, openly communicate without some type of restriction for our customers. Um, the rule of seven and kind of like what we're talking about with these like seven touch points, Mm -hmm. um is really really important in also what happens physically in store and so this is actually how you translate a marketing strategy into a merchandising strategy it is like if we are looking to build our basket size and add um, like products to our basket then we need to also think about what are we doing from a touch point perspective in store to help drive that message home So if our want or or need is to, for example, add pre-rolls to our basket size because it gives an opportunity for the customer to test something, or it can be seasonal, or it's going to be great for our margin development of our transactions, then we need to think about where does this this pre-roll story show up seven times in the environment? Um, And like what we're trying to do then is make sure that our customers are catching this information and we're subtly pushing them towards that this is something that they want um humans like we talked about are like habitual and they like things that feel familiar and they like to make sure that they like your customers want to feel like it was their idea so whatever we can do to support them and making them feel like it was their idea you're like you're gonna have a win every time so that's kind of like why i'm so I love the the strategy around using seven it, because it gives us some rigor around how we're defining our story, what we're trying to um, communicate directly to our customers, sorry, the oh. phone, what we're trying to do to communicate directly with our customers and then also um, push them in a direction that is going to support our margin development.
0: That's right, that's key. So really make sure that they, it feels like on the, on the consumer side, make sure that they, they feel like they made the decision and that they're they're winning from this whole experience. And I, you know, I think that's key uh, in making sure that you're top of mind. So remember that marketing rule of seven by Dr. Jeffrey, um, Jeff, Jeffrey Lant. Uh, so now that we've covered your pre-opening marketing plan, let's focus on setting up and optimizing your in-store customer experience. So uh, how how we will move customers through the space and highlight products is key. Um, so how important how important is a retail floor plan um, to you, Krista, and why? I
1: mean, the retail floor plan is going to give
0: you the opportunity to create these touch points
1: and define the way that the customer travels through the store. Um, at the end of the day, profitability and uh, transaction sizes are usually directly linked to what is happening in terms of the floor plan. Um different floor plans are great for different businesses, depending on what we're trying to achieve. And um, so if we are trying to create repeat behavior where someone's coming in and out all the time, multiple times in a week, that might look different than where we're trying to capture a customer that's maybe a tourist. And so what type of products we need to support or push then with a floor plan, And what we we forget a lot about um, cannabis retail is actually that the store is a sales tool. So yeah, the store is for your customer and the in-store experience is really important. But the secondary piece of it is that the store is a sales tool for your bud tenders to be able to get product moving. And so um, we need to also analyze environments and floor plans and like how easily accessible is the floor plan going to be for our bud tenders and how can they use it to help guide the customer as well.
0: And how often should you shift your floor plan?
1: I mean, total changes in floor plan, um, it depends if there's been kind of like big market shifts. So for example, like when beverages came to the market or started to grow in terms of popularity in Canada, we did see some shifts that happened in in floor plans because of that to be able to accommodate for the change in the product format and how much space beverages took up. But I think one of the things that we miss is that we should be reassessing kind of like where the product is in the layout within the store and how it's showing up at least on a monthly and quarterly basis relative to our inventory levels. So um, the tool, the store is the tool to help us get the inventory out. So what is happening in our inventory? And then we want to relate that back to what's happening on our physical floor to be able to make some decisions around any changes we need to make.
0: Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's. I, I had a lot of conversations at MJ Impact about different uh, floor plan layouts based on the actual, uh, based on the strategies on how they how the stores want to manage the in store experience versus online, and uh, some of the some of the partners that we're working with. You know, they're getting eighty percent of their orders through e commerce online, so they're really setting up their store to maximize uh, or just minimize the number of the Amount of time to actually fulfill an order. So when someone shows up, they want to make sure that they can get out of there within seven minutes. So that's a, a priority that they've, um, you know, they've taken on. Yeah, you know, how can retailers ensure that they're moving, you know, product that may be tying up cash flow or, or nearing the expiration dates?
1: Yeah. I think like thinking about how many touch points it has in store is really valuable. Mm -hmm. Um, also if we're running a promotion, does it have like the physical presence that goes with it? So, so many times I walk into an environment and like a bartender is telling me all about a promotion, but it has no visibility anywhere. So we want to match it up. Um, whether that be on a digital menu board or physical, um, it's really just like giving it as a reference point somewhere else. People, our learn information differently and yeah. consume information differently and so some are audible some are visual and so if we can match and ensure that we've got touch points for both of those it's going to help our customer better understand kind of like what is happening um so yeah make sure that we've got some of the like both the tenders talking about it as well as that it has some kind of physical presence in store too
0: yeah 100% and let's you know let's Definitely discuss the in-store experience as well. You know, like your store is open, you have customers walking through the door. There's so much uh, more to retail store than just putting products on the shelves. Uh, when you walk into a retail store, like what are the first things that you analyze or the top three questions that you ask um, but tenders, Krista?
1: Um, one of the first things that I'm going to look at when I walk into a store is where's the cash desk. I kind of like yeah. jump all the way to the front. Um, mainly because it's, it's a bit of a trend and a pattern to position the cash desk in a place in store that doesn't allow the customer to experience the whole store. So what do I mean by that? I mean that we have a tendency to put cash desks against the back wall. And so what we end up doing usually is creating a, almost like a highway of customers coming in and then walking back out. Well, meanwhile we've invested a lot in terms of our physical space and potentially have fixtures um and so what we want to better understand is how we can get the customer all the way through the store so i'm going to first take a look at like where's the cash desk <laughs> yeah. um and then and your customer is too which is funny um, then i'm going to take a look at and try and understand and assess like what and how many options are being presented to our customer at any given time we kind of touched on it earlier but we're we're often created, creating environments that uh, result in decision paralysis. So we have so many options, we don't know which one to pick. And so we just go with something that like feels familiar to us. So we can do a lot in our physical environments if we um, actually dial back our options and present less information to our customer. Um, by doing that, we create more confidence in the decision-making. We can still enable like assortment variety by seasonally changing product or making sure that we're kind of like always uh, changing what is available, um, but presenting it in smaller, more digestible pieces which is gonna be specific to your customer and your environment. So like, we probably don't wanna present flower as a category only in section, like a section of five, but we might wanna break out our flower as a category into subcategories and present it to our customer in groupings of like three to five so that they can make a decision within that. So really we're like helping them guide them through the decision tree to um, a purchasing decision.
0: Yeah, where do most retailers fall short uh, you know, on the in-store customer experience,
1: um, usually around impulse shopping. Um, okay. Impulse can be incredibly impactful for your bottom line in terms of growing um, your gross margin, as well as um, the number of units that you're selling to a customer. So, in traditional retail. And with fashion apparel specifically, it is kind of known that if we can get our customer to purchase three products, they are 70% more likely to shop with us again. And so we don't really have enough data in the cannabis industry to like fully tell whether this is true, but we know that the larger amount that a customer has spent, the more likely they are to stay loyal to you. And so, um, building basket sizes and thinking about the number of units per transaction can help us in retaining that customer. And, and a lot of the time that additional one or two products at impulse is going to make that difference. So impulse shopping, so what do we do with impulse shopping? It means presenting product at the cash desk that is easily understood, so it doesn't take any explanation um, and usually fits within a certain price band. So we wanna understand what our pricing sensitivity is of our customers. Um, In some locations that might be up to $15, in others it might be up to 25. And then we can present things that are easily understood and it doesn't take a long time to make a decision purchase. So edibles, pre-rolls are great. Beverages are great for impulse shopping um, as well as accessories like papers and lighters and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. And we saw, I mean, a lot of uh, the top retail stores do this, like CVS, Walgreens, like they they all have a, a huge of assortment of products that are available at the checkout really for that impulse shopper. So yeah, as as you said, you know, if we can get people to buy three products, uh, then they're going to be more likely to shop with us. So really prioritize that. And it's something that, you know, I really, in a lot of stores, I I see them dropping the ball on that, uh, on the impulse shopping.
1: Yeah. Even like, um, retailers that are kind of like non CPG do a really great job of this. Mm So, um, Lululemon is a great example. Um, In terms of like that in-store customer experience, usually when you're shopping or checking out with Apple, they'll position you so that you can see the accessories in the background of the view, which is like a very subtle customer behavior um, where they'll get you into a spot and position that you're facing them and behind them is the accessory wall. There's a reason for that. Um, and it's because accessories in an Apple store are the impulse products compared to the price point of the products that's in store. So it's it's really about thinking about where we can add those additional products that usually are high gross margin products as well.
0: Yeah. And then in our uh, we, we did talk about, you know, really uh, getting that customer feedback. Uh, so if you, you know, in store, there's different ways that you can maximize that. So, you know, creating, uh, QR codes that you can put at the checkout to encourage Google reviews is going to be a, a easy free way for you to, to really, um, improve your just feedback on, on Google as a whole. And that's going to help with your SEO and discoverability on that search engine as well. So
1: yeah, the ask
0: from the bud tender too, like if we've yeah. created
1: a relationship with the customer, it's a great time. Um, it's up to the bud tender to like, obviously, yeah, understand and embody that moment. Um, but like if there's something positive that's happening there and ask from them, will get you a long way. Um, so being able to kind of like create multiple touch points around QR codes yeah. and leaving reviews, um, translates both to having bartenders talk about it as well as having physical presence of it.
0: Yeah. And it, you know, it doesn't stop. You know, once the customer is, is purchased and left the store, you, you know, stats show that businesses who focus on customer experience create you know, loyal shoppers, right? And, and loyal shoppers have a high customer lifetime value, which increases your revenue in the long run. Uh, so once the customer has made that purchase and left the store, the goal is to create as many loyal customers as possible. So you, know, you want to evaluate your point of sale data, as you know, everything that we covered in this webinar, you know, what SKUs are selling well, what product assortment is selling, uh, was there customer feedback uh, from bud tenders, you know, think about revisiting training for those bud tenders as well. Uh, and as far as marketing tactics, we, we definitely don't want to forget about the customers that, you know, after they've uh, left the store. So loyalty programs is going to be key, right? So uh, email programs with, you uh, you know, different specials or SMS uh, campaigns to, to really maximize the spend for those loyalty subscribers you know offering deals uh, d- different promotional events and uh, there is an automation with some of these CRMs where someone can visit the store and then 10 minutes after their visit they'll get a text message on you know how how was your experience in the store can you give us your feedback on Google boom there's an easy way to get Google reviews for uh, for your business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on the paid search and display advertising side, you can do retargeting, uh, you know, for people who, who know your store and, and, you know, you want to make sure that, uh, even after the customers come into your store, that you want to continue to push that rule seven. Um, so that people, you, know, you know, that you're top of mind and that you really are, um, there when people, uh, think about purchasing new product, uh, Krista, like on the data side, like what, what data should retailers be collecting and analyzing to calculate uh, the customer lifetime value?
1: I mean, first step is to definitely understand what the lifetime value is. So meaning like, what is the value of our customer over, I like to use a year so over a year, like how much are they spending? What are their visits look like? All of that. To be able to even do that, we need to start by creating accounts. So whether you're opening today and you have a loyalty program in your future, it's like, what are there, what are we doing today to make sure that we're tracking our individual customer behavior? Um, so can we link everything back to either an email or a phone number? Um, so creating an account first. Then we're going to want to take a look at and track the spend and the way that the customer is purchasing. So from a frequency perspective and also what they're purchasing. So um, do they usually purchase flour first? Are they purchasing pre-rolls first? Like what's the entry product and then how does that blow out and expand? Based off of that, then we can take a look at and start to actually forecast so that's the really cool part about building a customer base is we can start to say, like, are we on track? For example, we just opened up, we're growing our customer base 20% month over month. And based off of that, and based off of maybe using the scale that we're, we see eight visits a year and what they're usually spending, we can start to anticipate what revenue looks like. We then know if we're on track or not. If we don't have the historical um, data around like how many times our customers actually purchasing this is like a really great way to start to understand if we are going to get there and or if we're missing moments so if we've added a bunch of customers and we're not seeing them repurchase in a two month period we've probably got something that we want to address it's going to tell us about our customer experience faster it's going to tell us about if we need to be doing any kind of promotions or if there's something from an um like a customer service, like true kind of like bud tender to in-store perspective that we need to address. Similar to kind of like this revenue piece with our inventory, usually um, 30% of your customers are going to generate 70% of your overall revenue. So it's understanding and really making sure that we are like taking care of that group. The other group is really important as well. I don't wanna downplay um, your customers that are not generating that majority of revenue, but I will say like, these are are your promoters. So these are gonna be the people that are gonna help you to build a customer base in your community. Understanding who's like kind of on the cusp becomes like where some of your biggest opportunities are. So in analyzing your customer lifetime value, we want to take a look at like how frequently people are purchasing and how much they're spending. And then also what types of products they are buying. This is going to help us because we can use that in our loyalty programs in terms of what cadence we should be reaching out to them, what types of products we should be promoting, when we should be. Um, identifying somebody that's like dropped off and maybe cut communication or when we should be amplifying communication further
0: yeah so we really want to track that account first and then track the track the spend and, and do all we can to, to maximize that customer experience mm-hmm. uh, kind of separate from that you know what is you know I have a couple last questions since we only have a few minutes left. Uh, we what is them? <laughs> what's that? Yeah, does that, if anyone has any questions, feel free to to ask them now, and we'll uh, we'll answer them before we log off here. But like, what is heat mapping, and how can dispensaries use this to improve their customer engagement?
1: Yeah, heat mapping is maybe one of the best kept secrets that nobody's using, um, because we have security systems in stores that are often using heat as a sensor, as opposed to vibration, which used to be the old way of doing security systems. And we actually have data around where the heat is in the store as long as your cameras are on. Um, so we can actually heat map out and take a look at a floor plan and then utilize your security footage to understand where customers are going. This is going to tell us a lot about where our touch points need to be, um, as well as where there are probably really valuable places in the store. Or if we are missing big opportunities and want to push customers in a certain direction, what we need to do to get them there.
0: Awesome. And then before we sign off, I want to hear your story about how dispensary used its proximity to a dog park to shift its retail strategy.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's so funny. It's like understanding and being super niche about who your customer is, is often like a long, long long-term winning strategy. Mm -hmm. And so there's this group that, um, their entire strategy is to be close to dog parks. And it's because they really understand the customer purchasing behavior. So they opened their first location. It was right near a dog park. And what they noticed was that it influenced what types of products were selling and when their customer was shopping and, and what their mood set was even when they were coming into the store. And they were like, I think we can replicate this. And by doing this, we can scale our business easier because we're gonna see similar patterns in terms of what we need from an inventory and assortment and what we need to think about with where our customer's coming before, during and after a store visit. And so it will make it easier for us to create some brand consistency. So then they opened a second one and it panned true and then they opened a third and it also panned true. And so they really were like, okay, let's understand who our customer is and pick a location specific for them and then make sure that we are nuancing the environment for like the inventory and the people in, that work there to be able to support the needs of the customer that are coming in store. I love that.
0: I love that. It's uh it's a unique strategy and, you know, there, there's different ways that can, people can apply that same strategy just depending on where they are in, uh, in the city or, you know, based on who, who their customers are. And this has all been very, very insightful. Uh, Krista, thank you for joining us today and really sharing all your knowledge on you know, how to manage uh, the customer experience before, during, and after the visit. Um, you know, where can people find you and learn more about Vitrina Trina Group and, and what you do? Yeah,
1: you can find us online on our website. I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn. We like to share a lot of kind of quick tips and tricks. Um, And we are happy to kind of work through any questions around data and how to leverage your data in a retail environment to really push that profitability. But thank you so much for having me. This has been great. And I love the ability to think about a retail environment as well as the online and how they tie together.
0: Likewise, likewise. And thank you again for sharing all your insights and thank you to our audience for joining as well. Uh, Whether you're logging in through Zoom or through LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Thank you again for joining us and uh, we'll catch you next week. (laughs) Cheers.